This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Galaxies we hear, Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Tell Me This. I'm Brianne Roos here with Carrie Borkowski, and we are thrilled to have a very cool and different type of guest today. Um, we have Nick Susanis with us, and I'll give you a little bit of a bio. Nick Susanis is an Eisner-winning comics author and an associate professor of humanities and liberal studies at San Francisco State University, where he started and runs a comic studies program. He received his doctorate in education at Teachers College, Columbia University in 2014, where he wrote and drew his dissertation entirely in comic book form. Titled Unflattening, it argues for the importance of visual thinking in teaching and learning and was published by Harvard University Press in 2015. Unflattening received the 2016 American Publishers Award for the Professional and Scholarly Excellence in Humanities and the Lynn Ward Prize for the Best Graphic Novel of 2015 and was nominated for an Eisner Award for the Best Scholarly Academic Work. To date, Unflattening has been translated into French, Korean, Portuguese, Serbian, Polish, Italian, and Chinese. So both Carrie and I read Unflattening, you, Carrie found it um, and then shared it with me. And I have to say that I was kind of like, because I've <laughs> not really done the graphic novel thing before. And she was like, I, I hear you, I know, and you need to read this book. It's incredible. And she was right. And I have loved it and have recommended it to so many people, um, colleagues, friends, family. I just think it's an incredible piece of work. And we are just so excited and really, frankly, kind of honored, Nick, that you're here to talk with us today. So thank you and welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for that warm introduction. Um, I like to think of unflattening sometimes as a, a crossover comic for people who think they don't like comics. So I'm glad we got you, Brian. Yeah, yeah. I think I might be a convert now. Yeah. All right. You got yeah. a hook, hook, line, and sinker. And I have yeah. to say, I have to say, my middle school age son who really loves graphic novels would be so excited. One that I get to talk to, you know, a comic comics writer. And two, it looks like you have a Batman T-shirt on. Is that right, Nick? <laughs> You, uh, you do. Know, it's, it's, he would, would be, be rude to do an interview without one. I think. well, he would be so <laughs> excited because that's who his screensaver is on everything is Batman. So you there guys you have, you have a lot in common. So <laughs> awesome. Well, we like to start Nick by inviting our guests to share pronouns and any other part of your identity that you feel would be important to this to this conversation. Sure, uh, Nick Susanna is uh, he him. Um, I'm wearing a Batman T-shirt and. <laughs> uncomfortably hot rare in a rare moment in San Francisco when it's like 85 degrees. Um, oh my gosh. But wow. it's October. That's when it gets hot. So, uh, <laughs> but, but other than that, good. Awesome. Good. Good. And, um, you know, this is a podcast all about belonging, right? And so we have some questions that we had talked about. We're super curious to hear about your story. And before we get to your story, we were just curious a little bit about how you think about belonging. So how do you, how do you define it? What's your, what's your idea behind belonging? What's my idea behind belonging? Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I could go a lot of ways with that. I feel like I, you know, part of part, I'm going to talk about my book while I'm at it. Um, part of, part of my feeling about why I did this work is that it, it's, it's a little bit of an art. It's an argument for interdisciplinarity, right? Part of, part of its goal but it's really a little bit an argument for being me. So mm -hmm. like I, I studied mathematics as a, as an undergrad, like comics is not a thing you could do. And uh, I make art. So I have this funny thing where, where people say, 
you know, oh, I study mathematics. They say, oh, you're so smart. And then you make art and they say, oh, you're so talented, right? Like there's those, those yeah. kind of divisions. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I tend to think that I was actually a really talented mathematician. I was very clever, but I think my art makes me smarter. So that's, that's part of the argument for the work. But the third part, and I am getting to your point here, I think, or your question, um, is that uh, I was a bottom level pro tennis player. And then I made my living as a t- teaching pro until the last year of, of my de- of my defense. Um, uh, my wrist couldn't take drawing and teaching anymore. Um, mm. So, so in some ways, when you think about when I think about belonging in this case, that like, I feel very comfortable hanging out with the mathematician and this intellectual crowd. And I feel very comfortable hanging out with the artistic crowd. I ran an arts magazine and I feel very comfortable hanging out with the athletic, you know, I played sports a ton. My family, my dad coached, we we did a lot of, and I think we're, you know, we're in a culture where there's a lot of these boxes drawn to say, you know, those people go over there and those people sit with those people. And, and, I never, I mean, I feel very fortunate. Like I felt like I could pretty fluidly cross a lot of those, those boundaries. Um, so I don't know that I ever quite belonged fully to any of them, but also kind of belonged to all of them at the same mm-hmm. time. Um, and I think, I mean, I, I think the boundaries we're drawing are, are really artificial. So it sort of prevents belonging because we've decided at the start that, uh, or, you know, we're, we're sort of instructed that we can't belong to that because we're not x or whatever it is um so i don't know that was a excuse to say some things that are important to me from the book but um but also i i think that's a really i mean it's a really good question i i don't know if i've thought about it as enough well it sounds like you thought about it a little bit i thought about that a lot. <laughs> some, some of, some of those things which feel related um yeah yeah. And I love that you brought up this notion of multidisciplinary, um, you know, just views and perspectives, because that definitely is in unflattening everywhere. And so I'm going to make a connection for the next question we have for you is a connection between that and your Batman T-shirt. Hmm. And that is we're all about origin stories. And I yeah. feel like part of your origin story and stories are so powerful for us in that they offer a way to integrate disciplines, right? That multidisciplinary. So what's, what's your comic story? Like what is the comic books? Like, where did it start? What was the reason? What did you learn about the world through that, that perhaps you couldn't in other venues? I'm just really curious about that beginning. Yeah, that's great too. Um, So I have a much older brother who read, you know, bought comics and read comics, I don't know, to me, but, you know, sort of with me. So and a lot, we have a lot of Batman comics from, from 1970 on. We have a lot of comics in our house. Um, <laughs> um, and so that, that ended up being my first word, mm-hmm. uh, a thing I have managed to replicate with both my children somewhat by accident. Um, <laughs> but kind of, it, Batman's kind of an easy word to say. Those are two, Bat, Bat and Ma are pretty yeah. easy for kids. Yeah. Um, and, um, I, it definitely, I, I mean, I definitely think reading came very fast because of comics, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I, 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 I think about that in my teaching. And then uh, when I started reading my daughter comics when she was two and a half, um, I very quickly, uh, well, I'll back, I'll go forward and then back backward when she was, let's say, almost four she was reading and I would get preschool parents and then eventually kindergarten parents asking like, how's it, you know, what, what, what was your secret? Said, we read a lot of comics. And what's interesting about comics is that you have to pay attention all the time. So even before she could make out the words where she knew, you know, she could, she knew if I'd skip something because we'd read them and she knew she was mm. so, so in one hand, they're somewhat easier because there's less words, but on the other hand, you have to always pay attention. If I read a word book to you, you can, of close your eyes and just take the words in but a but a comic book you can't um this is something i have my students do now they read a comic to another person because it's so weird they're so weird to like where do i anyway um so that's moving again away from my origin story this is a um so i i made comic uh, so i read them i liked them i made you know i was a kid who like all kids like to draw but I think I was somebody who was very early comfortable at drawing things that look like things, mm-hmm. um, which people, you know, if you follow Linda Berry's work at all, like that that's often 
seen as good and other people like I can't draw, which I try to work at really hard in my classes to reverse that now. But but I definitely fell into that category of he's a guy who can draw things that look like things. And I like to I like to I like to make things and I like to draw. So um, so I did comic book superhero kind of stuff. And then in uh, junior high, um, I had a, a locker partner and I'm, you know, I wanted to make something to have our locker be our locker. So I just started drawing something and I, I just made up this silly superhero locker man. And I was like, was this like his, what he could do? Like his, and I kind of liked it. So all of a sudden it became, I was like, oh, well, what's the first story? So then I made a first story and, and then I did, I don't know, I did nine the first year, nine issues of it the first year. And I, I slowed down as like high school sports and stuff. My, my, and they got, the comics got longer and more involved and I got, I guess got busier. Um, but I made this superhero comic that that sort of started totally by accident, um, who has a cameo appearance in Unflattening, um, that, uh, you know, I, I was just such a great outlet for my my thinking for, you know, I mean, I don't know how many like social ideas I worked through. Mostly it was a chance to just be silly and try stuff. Um, it, it does try, I mean, it's interesting now, it does try a number of sort of formal sort of panel break things that things I sort of do now I mean I do more complicated things but um but I don't have narrative now so it, it, it uses more narrative versions of that um so I did that through through high school and then um I got to college and I wanted to keep doing it but I again you, you couldn't study comics and even if you could mm. you couldn't wasn't an intellect I didn't see it as an intellectual thing um, and I never, I really did not like art class, uh, as much hmm. art as I made, as many things as I built. Um, I, I took no art in high school and, um, I didn't like people telling me how to do things. Um, <laughs> I just really didn't like it. Um, I, I, and that could just be the kind of art teachers we had in my, my rural public school in Michigan. Um, so I, I stayed away from it and, um, so I, anyway, my comics, my tennis picks up my I, it dips for a bunch of years. And in, I, I ran an arts magazine in Detroit in the early 2000s and was asked to do a political. Uh, I was asked to be in a political art show around the uh, 2004 presidential election and just had a couple days to do it. And um, so I was like, well, I can make a comic. Right. And so I made a four page comic about security um, and it's very if you guys, I'm sure, are familiar with Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics, it's very, that was a huge influence on me. If, if people don't know, uh, Understanding Comics is Scott McCloud's comic about comics that came out in 1993 and um, really is a lot of the reasons we see comics in schools and comics in libraries is definitely due to this book. Um, and it was a huge influence on me. And, and Scott is a character in it. He's the avatar who explains things. And so my my this comic I made before the election is is very much looks like that. There's me in my T-shirt. It's not a superhero T-shirt in that case. But um, um, and uh, uh, but then there was a there was a follow up right after the election. Um, but they they said, oh, there's gonna be another show. And so I had four days again to make it. And and there I switched. I, I had been influenced by uh a comic written by Alan Moore and drawn by Melinda Gebby that was part of a 9-11 anthology series mm -hmm. of comics. And and most of the stories in that anthology were kind of stories. They were narratives. They were, but this one was an essay. It was a, it was a metaphorical essay using a lot of symbolic imagery to make its argument. And it it really stayed with me. And so my follow-up, I, I, I and I share this in talks, I smash my visible narrator. Um, and the rest of it is about voting or a show of hands. And every panel is something to do with a hand, whether it's being from Michigan, whether it's any of, you know, whatever, E.T.'s finger. I mean, I, every single panel had something to do with a hand. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, that way of sort of meta, you know, using symbolic imagery, metaphorical language to, to in the case of political work, to like not delineate uh, sides you know again coming back to your idea of belonging like i feel like i don't know my, my mother-in-law is not likely to listen to this but we get along <laughs> smashingly right but but uh but if we if you identify a party or something all of a sudden 
that that belonging in a negative way pulls you apart, right? Mm -hmm. It pulls us totally apart. So I was trying to write these, to use images and use the metaphorical language so that I could write something that, I, well, she wasn't part of my life then, but, um, but, you know, that people on other sides could say, oh, I get it. Um, yeah. before those walls come up. Because the walls mm -hmm. come up the minute you say, I belong to this tribe. Yeah. Um, Is that your, so can, that, I, can I ask you a question? Because you earlier said, um, when you talked to your students, when you were describing your talent for drawing, you said, you know, we often say we can either draw or we can't, I can't draw. Is that sort of, is that strategy because you're trying to avoid those sort of boundaries going up in sort of you're a drawer or you're a not drawler? Like, I'm just curious, you said that earlier. I was just wondering what that, what that strategy was about. Uh, I heard everything, but I feel like I missed. Okay. That's the podcast interviewer not doing a good job of no, asking no, no, a question. No, no. That's, the, <laughs> that's the interviewee. Like, no, I was, I was just really curious because you, you said, and you've said this a couple of times, I feel like you're trying to break down the binaries is what I'm hearing, yeah. like these, right? These sort of containers. And you mentioned early on in your, your origin story about how we very quickly will identify when someone is talented at drawing or something. And then the person yeah. who can't draw says, I'm not a drawer. And you said you try to dispel that in your classes. And I was just yeah. wondering what that, what that was about, like what, what you found is important about doing that. Oh, um, okay. Um, Sorry okay. about that. I was just No, curious. no, it's okay. No, no. I just, I mean, in classes, um, I'm, I start with this activity that's on my website called Grids and Gestures that, mm. that gets people to make an abstract comic about the shape of their day, the shape of their experiences across a single day. And it, they have to organize it in some sort of grid-esque fashions, like a comics page, but they might use circles. They might move in different directions. They might, who knows what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And then instead of drawing things, they have to make marks or gestural lines or dots or whatever kind of mark making they do to represent how they feel or what they're up to throughout the day. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like my goal with classes is starting from that point, if you start to see that drawing is so much more about organizing marks in space and sort of putting your thought out into space rather than can I draw a nose that looks like a nose right mm. um that it that it liberates it from that and um again Linda Berry talks about this a lot right like when you find a, she's got a panel I use in class where if you find you know you couldn't make the eyes look just right then you're just like I suck at this right I'm no good mm -hmm. um so whether it's external or internal because drawing is you know we I mean, I I don't know that it's enforced culturally, but I think it's, I mean, I see it, my four-year-old, he's got a friend who can draw superheroes really well. And I see him say, I don't draw superheroes as well. And so I'm not drawing, you know, like mm -hmm. nobody's pushing that on him externally, but he recognizes that. So got it. Um, yeah, I, I think that's, does that? Yeah, that, that, to that totally. And I'm sorry, I didn't mean to Cut no, your train no. of thought there. I was just really no, interested okay. in that piece. It's easy to lose my train of thought. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll wrap the origin just because you asked. Uh, yeah. uh, so I, anyway, I made this comic that about show of hands and then subsequently made a comic. Uh, we put on an art show of games and art uh, in Detroit. And my buddy said, why don't you do the, the essay as a comic? And I made this comic about the history of games, what it meant to be a game, and then applied it to philosophy of life. Um, and that includes, among other things, the, the most popular page from it is the rabbit page, which every panel is a fictional rabbit that is talking about why games aren't just for kids. Um, it's on my site. It's pretty easy to find. But um, so those are the things when I came to Columbia and I mean, a little bit stumbled into that. Um, I said, this is the kind of work I do. And and mm -hmm. and it really for me. Like I'm the child of educators and I think really significant educators in, in the ways that I value education. My, my dad's a physics teacher and was a tennis coach. Um, and my mom is environmental studies teacher and was a naturalist for little kids. Um, very experiential. I mean, both in physics, we did all the things in, in environmental studies. Obviously we went and did all those things. So I feel very privileged as a as a 
child to have parents who were so encouraging of exploring the world and and letting me do stuff right there's never a don't do this because you're not going to be whatever like they're, they're really um so uh so education was always a part of stuff that I, was always important to me and I taught tennis from a very early age and and I subbed for physics class for my dad a few times um uh um but I I always kind of shied away from it I, I felt like I wanted to make things. That's part of it. And um, and I also felt like the kinds of things that I liked about academia tended to stay in academia. Mm. And I really liked the idea of of reaching more people. Um, and I think when I had this sort of accidental return to comics, which was then compounded by this, uh, it's not like I'd stopped comics, but I just never finished anything. I just had a lot of like, but, I, you know, the excuse of a show and a deadline means you finish something, right? Um, so uh, uh, making this games comic, like it really showed how I could put all my interest in education, my desire to put things in the world and use the skills of making that I really liked and put it all together. Um, so, you know, I, I when I came to Columbia, I said, this is what I want to do you can admit me with this or not. Um, I mean, that's, yeah. um, I didn't frame it quite like that, but I yeah. didn't, I, I didn't hide. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and that was part of my application. So yeah. um, I think that's an origin story. It is. Kind of, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. It's a good one. Yeah. But I, but I tied it to belonging and stuff yeah. too. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Fascinating. I mean, we're really, I'm really curious actually about all of it, but thinking about your time at Columbia, kind of picking up where you, where you left off there. So you applied and you didn't sound like an ultimatum, but we're clear no. about your your intended sort of genre, right? And yeah. and your your means of expressing your ideas. How was it received? I mean, obviously they let you in and it worked out, yeah, but I'm just curious. In. Yeah, <laughs> they let you in and, and you got out and you did you did all the things. But how was that received and what was that doctoral journey like for you? Um, I mean, we both came from a little bit more of a straight up written dissertation five chapter program yeah. so yeah yeah uh yeah i mean it, one should know there's a lot of naiveness and ignorance on my part coming back to doctoral school mm -hmm. um i my wife to be lived in new york and i said i would go there and i thought i was i was I was teaching, I was doing some lecturing, teaching public speaking in the interdisciplinary program I'd gotten my master's in. And uh, I was like, well, I might as well get a doctorate. If I'm, you know, I like, I like being in the classroom. This makes sense. I'll go. And this is what I'm doing. So this is what I want to do. But I, it didn't occur to me that it was a big deal. I didn't apply other places because it didn't occur to me that Columbia was Columbia. <laughs> Um, I just thought, well, sure, I'm going. I, that sounds like a good place. They, apparently, they let people do some interesting things. I, I knew some a professor who had a former student that was there doing pop culture in the classroom. And okay. so I was like, this might be a place that's receptive. So I was like, okay, I'll do that. Um, so that was kind of the level of depth of thought I gave to what I was in for. Um, and And so anyway, I was admitted, but I, I didn't my initial thoughts about what I would make, um, I, I knew I was gonna make comics. Like that was, I was like, I spent too long not making them. Um, if I'm not gonna mm -hmm. go somewhere else, right? Or do it on my own. Um, but I, uh, it, it didn't occur to me that it was a big deal um, because, you know, Mouse had been out a long time. Understanding Comics had been out a long time. Persepolis had come out and made a huge wave. Uh, Fun Home is, outright about that time it just felt like the argument was over right like comics were accepted um but but it really wasn't over um it was <laughs> i mean i think i lucked out i hit a time where people were hungry for it i had professors i mean the ones who admitted me i think they were just ready for something different um, um ruth bins in in uh teacher uh, in english education the, she did poetry and narrative research as part of her work. Um, I, I wrote a comic, I made a comic that a teeny bit of it gets into unflattening um, for her book on narrative research. Um, so so I had her as an advisor. I had Robbie McClintock, who's very senior. And I think he's just, he's into technology along. He just wanted something that didn't look like everything else. He didn't know anything mm -hmm. about comics. And then I had Maxine Green, 
um, who, if people don't know, legendary philosopher of aesthetic education, who I first had a class with her in her living room when she was 90. Um, wow. And I had my defense in that same living room when she was 96. And she passed uh, a few weeks after that. Um, wow. But Maxine, you know, Maxine is, uh, if you, uh, you know, a titan. Um, and And so, I mean, I think they were all like, it's interesting. I feel like uh, younger professors who might in, be more open to it have more to risk, mm -hmm. um, especially mm -hmm. at an institution like Columbia. Whereas these yeah. people, you know, what they were, beyond Merida, yeah. they yeah. were, you know, they were yeah. senior people. Like they didn't have anything to risk. They didn't know much about what I was doing, but I think they recognized that I was going to do it, <laughs> and that I was pretty stubborn, and I would just they would learn something watching me do it, and that's. You know, I'm pretty grateful for that. I didn't have a lot of, didn't have a lot of like, I mean, I've been on committees now. Um, like I didn't have a lot of back and forth on, oh, do this or that. like I, pretty much I just did the thing I was going to do. Um, mm -hmm. But but anyway, sorry, I'll finish here. The, when I started, I thought, okay, I, you know, I, I like science stuff. My dad's a physics teacher. Maybe I can make a physics comic book as a dissert you know like maybe I'll do adapt hmm. his class into that hmm. but as I started be you know doing research on what what scholars do and talking about the work I realized that it hadn't been done and that part of what I had to do was argue for why I could do it mm -hmm. um and argue in the form for so so it really became much more self-reflective than I had any intention of Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe I it would have happened somewhat anyway, because maybe that's me a little bit. But mm -hmm. um, but but that wasn't it, it, I didn't set out to be sort of radical. But in the process of it, I recognized it was a political thing and that I was going to run with it. And I'm you know, I ran a magazine solo in Detroit for a long time. I, I'm I wouldn't say entrepreneurial because I'm really bad at making money. <laughs> um, but um, but I am like once I start doing something, I am. You know, I became a proselytizer for comics. I printed out miniatures of my work as I went, and I would give them to people at talks, and mm -hmm. give them to cab drivers, give them to waiters, anybody who was mm -hmm. remotely curious in what I was up to. They got miniatures of my comics, and I was going to win them over. Like this should count. Um, yeah. That's, so I really I'm... became much more an activist about it than I ever intended. So. Yeah, that's. I mean, I have to say for folks who are not familiar with higher ed and sort of the process of doctoral work, I feel like you're being so incredibly humble because I think even, even today, I would argue that your work is still not the norm, quote unquote norm no. for, for doctoral work. And so I think it's so amazing that you happened upon a group of individuals who were open to your work, right? Because as you said, I think one of the great paradoxes of higher ed is that it's supposed to be these sort of beacons of innovation. And oftentimes they're the most risk averse <laughs> because yeah. of promotion and tenure. So I think it's quite amazing that you were able to, I mean, having been through the the process of like proposal defenses and all that thing, it's like quite amazing that you were able to produce a graphic novel out of it. In my work, I've collaborated directly with hundreds of educators to support their success. Do you know which of their ed tech frustrations comes up time and again? The sheer number of tools out there and the difficulty of knowing which ones schools like theirs are using to get results. IXL is different. Not only does it perform the functions of dozens of tools, it's currently delivering results for one in four U.S. students, including those in 95 of the top 100 districts. Another major pain point that comes up when a school is excited to implement a new tool only to find out the teachers hate it. Yikes. It helps to know that IXL is loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, saving them time on prep work while enabling them to better support student learning. IXL is research proven to accelerate achievement. Studies across 45 states show that IXL schools outperform non-IXL schools on state assessments. An independent research from Johns Hopkins University verifies that IXL meets ESSA Tier 1 standards. With those results combined with IXL's teacher-friendly reputation, what more could you ask for? If you have a goal to increase achievement for all students, 
make sure to find out what IXL can do for you. Visit IXL.com forward slash BE for a demo. That's IXL.com forward slash BE. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I, I think I think I was just so not concerned about yeah. what I was supposed to do, which I'm not saying is a good thing. I can't recommend that to other people. Yeah. Right? But it worked though for you. You know, I was an I was an older student, you know, I wasn't a 20-something student mm-hmm. coming in. And this is just what I wanted to do. And I wasn't I wasn't interested in spending six years of my time doing what somebody else wanted me to do. I mean, I, I'm very open to input and making it better. Yeah. And I actually welcomed more input along the way. I think there's some things that I could have shored up. But yeah. But, um, but I, yeah, why well, spend your time on something that you don't want to make? I don't know. Absolutely. Makes total sense. So you, yeah. so you mentioned as you were thinking about the, the, the product, the thing, the doctoral project or whatever, you said, maybe you'd do a story of one of your dad's physics classes or something. And then it yeah, changed. Not, not a story, like a book about, a like book the, about, about, the, about the, cl- about like the arc of the class, like what you learn. Yeah. So, so I'm wondering, like, again, thinking in the context of this doctoral journey and where, you know, most students are conducting, having a question, conducting literature reviews, all those sorts of things. Can you give us a little sort of peek into that process? So you came in thinking it would be about the arc of a class, of a physics class, and then it evolved into something yeah. else. Like, what's that look when like? When I say that, I, all I can say is that was just an idea. I never yeah, did yeah, anything yeah. on that. I, yeah. I didn't even go anywhere with it. That yeah. that just was like maybe. Um, yeah, and that's how I mean that's how many doctoral students enter, right? They're like maybe yeah. I'll think about this research question and then. Yeah, change. I mean, and I don't know that I even told anyone that. I was just <laughs> okay. like, I want to do something. <laughs> yeah. Um and yeah. that seems like something that I could show off what comics can do and teach people something they should know at the same time. Um, yeah, I mean, like for example, so, a really simple, straightforward question. Again, as someone who's been through that process and advise students like did you engage in a in a sort of traditional lit review or was this whole process very different than any sort of uh, yeah I, I well I want to say one thing in preface and then I'll, I'll answer yeah. that I just this morning got a question from a doctoral student in Canada who wants to do his work in comics um mm-hmm. and I, I get these somewhat not frequently but regularly um and an argument with his committee whether I'd actually drawn my dissertation as a comic or whether I'd adapted it afterwards, mm. which to clarify, it is. I, that is what I did. I blogged the whole first I blogged the first half of it until I had a contract with Harvard, which was about a year before I finished, and I kept it secret for a year and a half. Um, and I stopped. I mean, I blogged a little bit after that, but I felt that we felt they didn't want the book completely on my website before it came out. <laughs> yeah. Um so it, it's not a hundred percent identical because I had time to clean it up and fix it and make a cover and the sort of design things that you can't do in a dissertation. But um, it is to to the casual reader, they're identical documents. Um, mm. My dissertation and the published version. Um, you know, it's it's a revised version, but not a it's not a different version. Um, anyway. So, yeah, I mean, uh, the first semester I had a class on, um, I mean, I also, I made comics as my work from the start. So a lot, a lot of what I learned to do came out of these very short things that were in response to prompts for class or, Mm. um, you know, one to four page comics that I like, you know, I made a comic on postmodern theory, um, weaving together fairy tales and uh, that doesn't maybe something about Athena shows up in the book. Um, I made a comic on Maxine Green for that first class, um, which was risky, but um, but it led to us becoming fast friends. So, um, uh, and I did this comic on narrative research, which the 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 two eyes thing that the, the parallax mm-hmm. idea is in that 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 that's probably the one of two pages that's was done in something else that I, I redrew, but the concept is 90% the same from the earlier version of it. Um, so all these like small pieces started in form where I was headed. Uh, so, but anyway, the, the first semester I had a class on, 
I don't know, it was like your research, I, I can't remember what it's called, but you had to shadow a researcher, mm -hmm. right? That was our assignment, like read everything a researcher did. And, and I chose uh, Alan Moore, which is not a comic book. I mean, he's not an education researcher, but, you know, the most famous comics writer, probably, um, uh, maybe not the most famous, but most notable. Um, and And so I made a point of studying all the ways that he attacked the comics page to make meaning. Um, which I also read a lot of, you know, I read a lot of, I had an education philosophy classes. Um, and I read all those things at the same time, but, but sort of, this was my process side. Um, so in terms of the dissertation, I mean, I did try to follow that sort of structure. There's the problem statement. So the opening chapter is, you know, it's a little overly dramatic, um, uh, I don't know. I some people think it's overly dramatic. Teachers nod very knowingly when they read mm -hmm. chapters. So, I mean, and that was informed. My my dad, who taught physics at at our little country school or a little in the rural Michigan for forty years, finally retired. Um, didn't want to, but he made space for other another teacher. Um, and then he he just didn't want to be retired, so he took a a year of sub job at a high performing school that. And he would tell me things about these kids weighed down by their test prep books and their arm, you know, and, and a lot of that, his, our conversations informed that chapter, like the, mm -hmm. the figures are all, they weren't bent in my initial sketches, but talking to him, they're mm -hmm. all bent as if weighed down by these books. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, the first chapter is this problem statement. The second one is, is like, you know, I spent a lot of time, I did a lot with interdisciplinarity prior to coming there. My master's is in art and math and interdisciplinary studies. Um, and I was quite involved with the interdisciplinary studies organization. So, you know, that's taking, that is, what's the second step supposed to be called? You're, that you're uh, just blanked on it. Um, the and problem yeah. statement is that your lit review second? Is that second? Yeah, you, usually. Yeah, yeah. so yep. that was a, that was, you know, a, a definitely a different version of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the third one is about the the process. It's you know it's very much about comics. It's the only one that's that's you know a lot of people think this is a lot about comics, but it's really only the third chapter and only really half of it that's about comics. Mm -hmm. um, so I was very much thinking about mm -hmm. in a loose way, mm -hmm. at least what I read to inform what I drew. Mm -hmm. um, you know the first first three to five chapters all kind of follow that um does it build to an answer i mean I, I my goal in it is that it doesn't um that it leaves it for people to figure it out on their own which is the point mm -hmm. um so I, I i would say it doesn't look like a traditional one but but the kinds of things i read to do it and there is i had to do the uh cert exam and it's, mm -hmm. ugh, it's ugly as an ugly thing because I, I was writing I was writing all these words about the thing I was gonna do but I was you know so it's I mean all the references are there right mm -hmm. all is in there and Maxine is in there and Dewey yeah. is in there a ton and but it's this unwieldy thing that shows that I could read all these things mm -hmm. um but it didn't you know it, it was useful to me in that like you know, I filter some of those things out and I'd, I'd done the work. So when I was getting ready to draw it, it, it definitely was helpful. Um, but as a document, it's awful. I mean, it's just, it's not, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's not awful, but it just, it's, it's, it's not an aesthetic thing well, at all. I mean, literature reviews generally, even if you're interested in the topic are quite dense, right? I mean, yeah, it's and not just it's just not this is not something you want to read no like, yeah dense, and, I, like, and I, I do I think like you're i mean your graphic novel i found it you know again as someone in higher ed and i would share it with people and i'd be like the literature is in there it's just that it's yeah. so enhanced and brought to life by the drawings i mean i think it goes back to your talking about do you what would happen when you read a comic versus having to pay close attention and read it and look at it right it's just it just brings another almost dimension, right? Like it unflattens it, like you said. Well, that's, so. <laughs> I mean, that's quite what I thought. And I do yeah. two responses to that, that the uh, um, the person who reads the end notes after they've read it often feels like they've read a different book the second time. I, I've gotten mm. that, you know, because they didn't mm. know, you know, because I sort of let you in on what what's going on there. And, mm -hmm. and I don't care if people don't know, right? Like, it just doesn't matter. If you can follow it, I want you to be able to follow it. 
-hmm. And if you're you, if you're the two of you who know education theory and higher ed really well, it means something very different than the high school class that's reading it. Mm. Um, and very different to the people who don't know some of the references or do, or it just, but I, as long as it, as long as they get the core of, of what it means to them, I, I don't, I don't care. Mm -hmm. In fact, I, I prefer that it's a different book for all of them. Um, yeah. But I was going to add one other thing to that. Uh, the end notes. It'll come. It'll come. Sorry. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. No worries. There's just so much. First of all, I feel like we have to just put it out there that we are doing this book an injustice by talking about it, and not showing it. <laughs> I mean, the irony of this podcast is not lost, right? That yeah. we're talking about something that's so visual. Um, Nick, I was reading on your website about how some teachers have used the book. And I know Carrie uses it in her class. And there's a page on, or it's page 14 for anybody who has the book, where you um, show people kind of in little boxes. And somebody said it looks like Scantron bubbles. And mm. <clears throat> they're in there. I felt that it, yeah, now it says um, like boxed into bubbles of its own making, row upon row, row upon row, thought and behavior aligned in a single dimension. And it's just this visual that just, kind of pulls you into these boxes. I didn't think of it as Scantron bubbles when I looked at it or read it the first time. But when I did, when I heard that, I went back to it and was like, wow, that's that's incredible. Yeah, that, that is Scantron bubbles for sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, now that you say it, I can totally see it, but that's not what I was thinking when I first yeah. looked. I was more thinking like, oh, the boxes are getting smaller and I'm getting so crunched in. Like that was kind <laughs> yeah, of my- That's also my true, read. right? <laughs> yeah. Those are both true. Um, yeah. Which is so, I gotta get the so book. incredible. I don't have oh, an encyclopedic memory for what yeah. I did. Uh, what <laughs> oh, page yeah. Is this? Is Four, page, yeah, page 14. Oh, yeah, they're even filled in like Scantron. Some of them are blocked in and some of them are, yeah, I mean, there's uh -huh. some right answers and some wrong answers there. Yep. <laughs> and they're like not perfectly filled in the way you. Yeah, you know, yeah, no, I was. Yeah. The, yeah. Okay, anyway. Yeah. No, I just, I'm so struck by the multiple perspectives. I'm so struck by your story, by tennis and math and art and physics and um, kind of how all of that combines. And when I read this book, I was really just frankly blown away. And what I found is that I am so text driven that when I read the book, I started reading it without looking at the pictures, which is mm. ridiculous because my instinct is just look at the words. And sure. then I went back. And so it almost took, like I would read the words and I go back and get into the pictures. And I was, I just am thinking, what am I missing in the world by not looking yeah. this way at it? And that made me really appreciative of the title and like the progressive tense of the title unflattening. So it's like an active thing to read this book. And I think it's an active thing to teach this book. And that unflattening to me is very active. And I just really appreciate the way that you've articulated this story to us the way that this book unfolds because I don't think there's a a bow on it like that's not the way I read this book I read this book as this is something that's a really well done well thought out like reflective piece that just kind of asks me more questions it's just prompting more questions and it wants me to you know so I don't know what your goal was but that's what I came away from it and I was just and am still just blown away by it. I think there's so much to learn and you're so humble telling this story, which I, you know, appreciate, but I just want everybody to read this because I think there's so much to it. I think there's artistic genius and I know nothing about art, but it's, it's, I could just look at these pictures and get totally drawn and taken by it um, as a, as a novice in the field. I feel like that's like that's real expertise if you're able to do that. If you're able to reach somebody who doesn't necessarily know much about the genre and really make me think. So I, I just have to commend the work and I hope that a lot of people go out and get this book and, and read it and use it in different ways. Thank you, Brian. Um, yeah, I, I have a lot of responses to that if you want. Sure. You yeah. I have a lot. Okay, I took notes. <laughs> Because I'm gonna. Okay. Forget <laughs> um, none of them are gonna. Uh, okay, so really, I'll try to hit them all. The word unflattening came about because I was thinking about how comics could put more information on the page than seemed possible otherwise. Like it took a flat piece of paper, what I would have double spaced and all that stuff, 
all of a sudden I could bring layers of information and whether it's the juxtaposition of juxtaposition of words and images or of images and images or all those mm -hmm. different ways because there's an infinite number of ways you can have the pieces interact right mm -hmm. um that all of a sudden the page stretched out and and I, I think like a simple that chapter on ruts where I do my wife's commute which which is a real oh, I often yes I love that I have that page yes yeah no I, it was fun it's, page 112 yes <laughs> 112 yeah thanks um but it's you know like like in a sort of illustrational sense i could say well here's my wife's commute and here's a typical commuter out and back right and i could just hold up one and hold up the other and that to me doesn't like doesn't use comics that well it's an illustration but but saying in the background is this beat of 16 you know just beats 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 in the frames and in the foreground and i had noticed this leaf like drifting in front of me so i thought oh manhattan kind of looks like that um that it could drift the way that she sort of drifted through the city. Like it's a pretty simple page as mine go. Like reading order is pretty simple. And, mm -hmm. but it's also like, because things are occluded and uh, there's more information than it actually looks mm -hmm. like. Um, so, so, so that word came to me very early and then thinking about interdisciplinarity and seeing double um, those are things that have been floating around. Like those things all sort of fueled each other. So a lot of people assume flatland had something to do with it. And it's really the opposite that I it's like, I got to say something about flatland because I got this thing called unflattening. And then it's the only thing if you look at my my sketched outline at the back that that uh, moved to the front. It was it was the only thing that got moved out of the pieces. I, I drew that outline overnight. I had a small surgery and I couldn't sleep. And uh, I, I I dreamed up all the order of all the chapters that night. Wow. And then I, wow. I sat down on the floor and drew them all the next day. Um, um, okay, so that's one. Two words. Uh, I, I wrote I, I, uh, the fact that we're talking about it, and that's, you know, that's the nature of, of what this is. That's all right. Um, but I've been working for the last few years on uh, a project on making comics accessible for blind readers um, sure. through my Institute for Disability here. And it's it's a giant problem. <laughs> um, it's really hard. And, and I was aware of it when I was making it. Like my whole, not only is my work hypervisual, but it's also about vision. So I, 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 I was aware that I was leaving people very much out. Um, you know, even people with just one functioning eye over, you know, that mm -hmm. my metaphor just like, you know, it's a metaphor. But so um, I say it, I mean, I have a lot of resources on that if people are interested. Um, we just made an accessible comic for MIT Technology Review that has an audio track. And, um, but uh, I'm looking at making an accessible version of this. Uh, we're, and it's really hard. Like it's, it's, like I, I, it's crazy that you can't get Spider Man, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to work on that with people there, um, like because that's at least narrative, like it could be done. But, but my work is really like you lose, it's really like it's all intended to show what you can do in visuals that you can't do without. Mm -hmm. So how it becomes translated, it, 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 it takes a really dramatic act of adaptation that I, I, I don't know that I'm going to find. Um, but um, so I just wanted to note that you noted the ing, because that's I'm really glad you noted the ing. Um, that was really important. And and my my book, often people write unflattering, right? Like they're autocorrect. <laughs> it's a very common, very common thing. And it, it's funny to me, though, like, I don't care. It's just funny. <laughs> Like it's it's but when they when they drop the ing and put an ed i i recoil and i am very quick i am very quick to say it is not unflattened it is very purposefully not unflattened because that implies something finished and i mean one what do i know right like and two um you know this is supposed to be an ongoing thing as soon as you think yeah. you're finished that's when you get in trouble so i'm mm -hmm. i'm uh, I'm very adamant about that one. And then you said, I got two more things. I, I did good taking notes. Um, <laughs> you you said uh, the thing about not ending and leaving with more, more questions, which I'm so grateful you said, because that's exactly what I wanted um, and, and what the future work is maybe even more about. Um, but I, I, you know, when I talk to teachers about the work, the one question that I also somewhat recoil at is like, 
they'll say, what do you want me to, what should I do in my classroom? And I'm like, what do I know about your class? Like it's your classroom, right? Like my only goal was to say, people can figure that, you know, to help people ask their own questions. Mm. I, I'm just, you know, just little me sitting at my desk trying to think through some ideas and I'm pretty limited. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a clever guy. I know how to make connections across things, but I, I, I only know what I know. And I just, I've been telling this to students and it'll probably be the introduction to this book on unflattening. Um, the real gift I've gotten from making this is I've gotten to talk to so many people who know, you know, who come from different backgrounds, who notice things that I left out or that I was careless on, or, you know, and, and some of those things are hard, right? Like I don't always want to hear it. Right. <laughs> Um, but I also, you know, those are things that inform me to make better work going forward. I can't like, this is what it is, right? It's a, it's a mark in time. It's, 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 this is it, but hopefully the next thing I think more about some of the things that people have raised. So it's, you know, I feel just super, I mean, I, every time students ask that, you know, they ask, I, I just do it. Cause like, Somebody's going to take the time to read your book. Uh, the worst that you can do, and the least you can do is say a few words. And the last thing, sorry, this is a lot, but it was all directly right. things you said, Brian. Um, what do you read first? And and that's a, your answer is not uncommon, right? Like ex word, especially if you're not familiar with comics, is you come from, from thinking about words first. And I, I, I think it can appear somewhat flat, Um you know, there's layers that one can miss in that way. And and other people will say they look at the pictures first. Like I'll, I'll ask students this question, but there are other strategies, which is really great about comics is you can ask. Like I, if you're reading a word book, you don't say, what do you read first, right? Like there's not, not a lot of choice there. Um, but with a comic book, there is. And I, I share, I'll make this visual because uh, the thing is everybody listening needs to buy the book so they can follow along with the interview. <laughs> But, <laughs> yes, they do. Um, but like this, this page, which is one of this is where I really talk about how weird comics are mm -hmm. um, and how they're all interconnected. But there's a there's a little passage that says rather associations that stretch web like across the page and and right you know it's drawn right next to the spider web right it's mm -hmm. it's kind of obvious thing but it's maybe not obvious while you're reading it to say oh look at that connection so it's you know the idea is that there's a dance created between words and pictures. Which, which is always the case in comics. In mine, it's particularly hard. I know it's a translator's nightmare. There's there's mm. puns and things oh, that yeah. are attached to specific mm -hmm. parts of the image. There's a thing about lightning getting lighter next to a lightning bolt, mm. and you know, yeah. English speakers butcher that word. But but for, you know, translators, that's a really tricky thing. Mm -hmm. um, so you can't just find the right word. You have to find the word that fits to the image too, which might not even be possible. Yeah. Um, which then speaks back to the how do you make it accessible, which is a whole other giant, giant mm -hmm. challenge. But um, anyway, Brian, thank you for all that. I I think I I responded to each thing that leaped out at me. You did. And you it did, made no. me, lis listening to both of you, it made me think about how did I read the book? And I think what I'm recalling is that I felt like every page was a new adventure because mm. sometimes I was drawn to the words and would sort of read. And then other times, my eye might be drawn to like the second page instead of the first, right? So I would sort of be exploring, which mm -hmm. you ne you don't get that invitation in a, just a written book. So I just love that every page sort of invited me to explore it in a different way, which was part of the fun of reading it. So yeah, yeah I like I that. that. My 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 wife would walk by my drawing setup. Uh, she'd say, "Well, I haven't seen a page like that before," and then she'd say, that, "And she'd come by again," and and I was like, "You know what? There will be no page." that looks there. So there are no, there's yeah. one repeated sequence where it's intentionally repeated because it breaks apart with the, the caterpillar eating the page. Mm -hmm. um, but, but other than that, none of the, none of the layouts do the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I like comics that ask you to read them many times and learn something new. Cause you can, you can read comics fast, mm -hmm. but you can also read them really slow and, and, mm -hmm. and gain and get, entrance to them in different ways which yeah it's very slow I'm a very slow you know guy who makes dog man has made seven books before I finished a page but um <laughs> and he's awesome I'm a he huge is. fan so um That's but awesome. I'm envious too yeah <laughs>
Wow. Well, we do like to conclude, Nick, by just inviting you to share anything that you were hoping to get to today that we haven't covered. Ooh, we any cover any last words for us? Um, that was great. I had such a good time talking with you all. I, I talked a lot, which, sorry about that. But um, That's good. That's um, the object of the know, game. I'm fired up. It makes me want to make work. I don't. All know, right. Woohoo. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to follow it up with a very, very slow moving sequel that, that talks my, my teaching. And when I talk about unflattening, I, I talk a lot about sort of the act of like, I share my process sketches, which are at the back of the book, but I've shared mm -hmm. a lot of them. And I've been sharing process sketches of the new work. Um, and people, I find people are really drawn to that. And I think, uh, like, how do we help people think in this way and think, um, you know, I mean, so much about school is sitting, right? So much about school is sitting in, in sort of one directional thing. And, and you know, even when you're opposed to that, you're still sort of part of that system. So it's difficult. <laughs> um, so a lot of what I'm thinking about in the new work is, is, how the body and movement and drawing are part of thinking, which is things that, again, I talk about them in here a little bit, but um, but I do a lot more in my teaching and talks about the work and the new one is is trying to to build on that, to build on on how much we're, you know, thinking is thinking is all of us, not not a part of us. Um, that's a really, really bad description of what I'm doing, but but it's still true. And it, um, it resonates. It resonates. It resonates with us if that does, if yeah, that yeah. matters at all. So for sure, it it does. Does. not not to put any pressure, but do we have a um, an end date for this one, or is it going to be a little while? Just it's a few years behind, and okay. I'm not even at the midpoint. Um, okay. uh, I was slow starting, and then person number two came into our universe. Yeah. And then pandemic came a year after that. And so it's, mm -hmm. it's been a crawl, yeah. but I think to what you said, which uh, just now, um, like each page has become as much as the first one was like that. They're more so now, like each mm -hmm. page is like a lot. And I, you know, I, I realized I could make a book that has about the content of each page, mm -hmm. but, um, I spent two years on a chapter about, uh, uh, the a child shortly before being born and the first two years of development. Um, so the research, I think I did more research for, besides having small humans, um, more research for that chapter than all of unflattening. Um, wow. In fields I don't know, right? Like mm -hmm. I don't, so I have to teach myself all this stuff, which is really fun, but mm -hmm. it's, it's slow. And then I have to figure out what to draw. Um, so I don't, it's very slow. I, I hope someday, and my editor suggested uh, because of what I was talking about, that it's related to the Odyssey, that that I should use the title Nostos, the delight of return, because I, I, I'm talking a lot about returning to understanding how we learned as small children and as a species, like returning to remembering what where we came from, mm. um, to think about what learning means. And um I really I loved her idea and and the Odyssey is playing a big role in the the opening and other metaphors, but um but it, the Odyssey took a long time. Um, <laughs> it may have been a dangerous thing for me to uh, dangerous thing for me to have named a book after. So yeah. um, it, you know at least it wasn't after the Scottish play. I'd be in more trouble. <laughs> well, we will patiently and anxiously await this new me book, too. and in the meantime, we'll read unflattening again because there's always something new that i learn in those pages so um yep yeah absolutely so, so yeah and what a gift thank you yeah well gosh your work's been a gift to to us and to the students that we teach so um i think brianne and i are just truly grateful for your time you've been so generous nick with your you know your stories and some insights and ideas and so Again, just thank you so much for joining us uh, for another episode of Tell Me This. So uh, yeah. thanks to you and thanks to everybody who listened. All right, everybody. Take care. So sincere under the glaciers of your last year.
Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.